You've tuned in to the cast that's almost at its year end. This yep. is Born on This Day podcast. We have, what, a month and a week left, Marco. We certainly do, Phil. I'm Marco Timbano. I'm Bill Antonio. And who knew we were going to take on this daily podcast during a pandemic? Yeah. I can't decide what has aged me most in the last year. Is it keeping up with writing these scripts? Is it the pandemic? I mean, I know that I have a full layer of hair gone. Oh, uh, Bill. And I don't think that's just from being 44 years old. And um, the lines on my face are telling tales. So, yeah. I will never do this to you ever, ever <laughs> again. No, it's been fun. I mean, we shouldn't talk yet. We still no. have a month. Um, it's but it's it's actually been quite fun. And um, there's nothing better than rising to a challenge and uh, completing it. So yep. let's complete it. All right. Well, listen, thank you for listening to Born on This Day up until now. Continue to listen and tell your friends. Yep. But today is also National Chocolate Covered Raisin Day. All right. How do you feel about that, Bill? Not as strongly as I feel about Melba Toast, I okay. will say. I don't okay. mind a chocolate-covered raisin. I'm not one of those people who hates raisins. I don't get why people do. I think That's they're my wife. lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I will never choose a chocolate-covered raisin. I will eat it if it's in front of me. When you're at the movie theater and it's the glossettes, raisins, yep. or peanuts, I will always choose a peanut because I prefer a salty nut covered in something sweet like okay. chocolate. With the raisins, I find it's too much sweet. It's sweet on sweet, and I don't like it. Okay, that's yeah. fair. I don't fair. I don't prefer it, I should say. Okay. Yeah. And let me ask you this. How do you feel about raisins in your butter tart? I don't mind it at all. Oh, neither do I. Yeah. Okay, we're on the same page here. Yeah. I There's can't pe- I think I mean all respect to Amanda, but I find yeah. that the Canadians who yell about raisins being in things like butter tarts, yeah. it's like you literally don't have a personality and you are cultivating some kind of eccentricity to hide that fact. I agree. That's when I look at her and I say, you, you Americans will never understand. Uh, but I love our American listeners. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Amanda's American and Canadian. That's why I make that joke. Listen, it must be a texture thing though, because I remember when yeah. my niece was a toddler, she ate everything except raisins. And mm-hmm. it was before she even had the like wherewithal to understand the, the cultural, you know, relevance of that. So I think the texture of them just doesn't work for a lot of people. My family would soak raisins in grappa. Okay. And then they would put it on their ice cream. And when I was a kid, they would give me ice cream with uh, grappa soaked raisins on it. And I, I, like a stupid kid, would eat it and I would be smashed and like out cold for hours. And then you think back to the days in their dirt poor village and you're like, how did you guys keep control of 12 kids? Yeah. And oh, it's because you knocked them out with grappa in their ice cream. This is why you were able to keep the family in line back then. Bill, I was like seven. I'm sure I was like seven. Seven years old, passed out on the couch, me and my yeah. cousins, after eating copious amounts of grappa-soaked yeah. raisins. It was part of the plan. Yeah. Totally. Italian parents know what, what they're doing. 100%. If the well, Pope's going to force them to each have 14 kids, they're taking the situation in hand. You, you That's what it's going to be. Go. Yeah. Oh, man. I, re- I remember being a teen and having a toothache, and my mother's like, you got to drink brandy for that. Drink yeah. some brandy, swish yeah. it around your mouth. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> right. Okay. Drinking I love the idea that your mom's going to end up like being arrested at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of this podcast once the authorities hear it. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, listen, if you were born on March 24th, you are a visionary, and you have a third eye for beauty. Beauty, more so than other Aryans do. Um, Aries, Aries, I should say, not Aryans. It sounds so wrong when you say it that way. Uh, you are also graceful, sensitive, and independent. According to your birthday personality, you are honest, sympathetic, and modest people. You are also free spirited. 
Celebrating a birthday today, Jessica Chastain grew up on the West Coast and was performing Shakespeare plays throughout the Bay Area before an actor suggested she audition for Juilliard. She got in on a scholarship supported by Robin Williams and after graduation began working in television, beginning with her first gig on an episode of ER in 2004. She had her breakthrough year in 2011 when she earned critical acclaim for her performances in The Tree of Life, Take Shelter, Ray Fiennes' directorial debut Coriolanus, and was nominated for an Oscar in The Help. The following year, she was Oscar-nominated again for Catherine Bigelow's Zero Dark Thirty, and went on to appear in Mama, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, which I saw at TIFF, and she sat a few rows behind me and smiled oh. at me when I looked at her. Well, that's great. Yeah, she's very lovely. Uh, a Most Violent Year, Crimson Peak, Interstellar, and Miss Sloan. In 2019, she appeared in the second part of Stephen King's It, and last year was in the film Ava. She was born on this day in Sacramento, California in 1977. What does she look like in real life? Is very, she like very thin. big? Oh, she's very thin. Yeah, she's eh? very thin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, she, my friend she... was in uh, Ma and uh, or Mama, I should say, and um, loved her. She said oh. she had a great day filming with her. That they became chummy and everything. So, oh, that's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. She seems like a nice person, and you love to hear that. Yeah, she's she, uh, her. I've talked about this before. Her Twitter behavior is a little bit vapid sometimes. Okay. Um, and she's gotten herself into some trouble from not being careful about what she was saying. But oh. uh, but yeah, overall, I like her. Mm. And I think well, she's I, definitely talented. I, I like watching her. I, I do. I, I do as well. Yeah. Um, I sometimes get her confused with Ron Howard's daughter. Yes, I get that because they do look a lot alike. They have mm. a similar, but I, they're so different in, in. Yes. Like, I don't mean to sh- shade Ron Howard's daughter, no. but Jessica Chastain is so much better that uh, that's the only reason why I'm, I wonder why people get them confused. But but I can totally see why. I agree with you because yeah. when, when I think they're the same person until I watch them in a performance. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, no, that's Jessica Chastain because yeah. she can act really, yeah, really yeah. perfectly. All right, Bill, let me see how, what you feel about our next celebrant. <laughs> Louis Anderson is an American stand-up comedian, actor, author, and game show host. He made his debut in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I can't remember what he played in that. Uh, like a like a cop or a delivery okay. man or something. It wasn't a comedic role. Okay. And in 1994, created the cartoon series Life with Louis, starring on the Louis show for one season in 1996 and hosted the third revival of Family Feud from 1999 to 2002. From 2003 to 2012, he performed his show Louis, Larger Than Life in Vegas. From 2016 to 2019, he joined the series Baskets as Christine, for which he won an Emmy and for which he's fantastic Mm -hmm. on. And last year was on Search Party. He published four books, the latest, Hey Mom, Stories for My Mother, but you can read them too in 2018. He just appeared in the Coming to America sequel and was born on this day in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1953. Mm -hmm. And Bill, we have the raisin hater who just brought me a coffee. Here. Oh, that's nice. There's Hello, no raisins raisin. in this coffee. <laughs> Is there clam chowder in it, though? Is there clam chowder in it? He wants to know. That's for Marco's mouth to find out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for bringing me this coffee. Uh, I've never seen Louis Anderson in ever, anything, so I don't really have an opinion on him. Um, and I always confused him with Sam Kennison, so I was really shocked okay. to find out he was still alive. Okay, so when once again, going back to my youth, when he was a kid, he was on everything. And yeah. he was like just this likable, larger than life character, yeah. right? But he's had some like 
a bit of a tragic life if you if you hear his stories. But I implore you to watch Baskets to see him perform. I've heard he's great on that show. He's fantastic yeah. in it. And it's, and it's just it's just a testament to a great actor can play any role, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Allison Hannigan began appearing in commercials when she was four and by 14 was starring with Dan Aykroyd and Kim Basinger in the comedy My Stepmother is an Alien. In 1997, she became a cult favorite when she took the role of Willow on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and in 1999 starred in the hit big screen comedy American Pie in which she has one of the funniest scenes. (laughs) Uh, One time at band camp. She starred in the film's date movie and love wedding. Uh, excuse me, and Love Wedding Marriage before having another television success with the sitcom How I Met Your Mother, which lasted nine seasons. Currently, she voices a character on the Disney show Fancy Nancy. She's married to Buffy co-star Alexis Denisoff and was born on this day in Washington, D.C. in 1974. Bill, do you remember when Dan Aykroyd had great comedic films? And oh, yeah. So I remember when he was a star. I mean, because of Ghostbusters. Dr. Detroit yeah, yeah. when he was in Dr. Or Trading Places with yep. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Oh, yep. Anyways, I <laughs> I don't want to go on a deep dive of, of Dan Aykroyd, who I like, who mm. I like. You know, I think he's a great actor, too. Oh, yeah. and, and I just wish I saw him in more films is what I'm saying. Indeed. Yeah. Lake Bell is an actor and director who also began her career on episodes of ER before making appearances on Mismatch, The Practice, and Boston Legal. She starred in the films What Happens in Vegas, It's Complicated, and No Strings Detached, and in 2013 made her directorial debut with In a World, followed by episodes of Children's Hospital and the 2017 film I Do Until I Don't. And she was born on this day in New York City in 1979, and I couldn't pick her out of a lineup if you told me who she was. Oh, you definitely could, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you just don't recognize her from the bio, maybe, but if you saw her, you would know exactly who she was. um, While you're reading the next one, I'm going to look her up. Okay. Jim Parsons headed to New York after doing a two-year master's in classical theater at the University of San Diego's Old Globe Theater, working off-Broadway and filming television commercials before an episode of Ed and a recurring role on Judging Amy brought him into his television career. After appearing in the films Garden State and Merchant Ivory's Heights, he landed the role that has made him a comedy legend as Sheldon on 12 seasons of The Big Bang Theory, a show that I love and my friends make fun of me for, but I don't care. I think it's really funny. He won a Golden Globe and four Emmys for his performance on that show. During its lengthy run, he co-starred in the films Visions, Hidden Figures, an adaptation of Larry Kramer's The Normal Heart, and a voice in the animated feature Home. In 2020, he starred on the Ryan Murphy series Hollywood and a remake of The Boys in the Band, which he had performed on stage two years earlier. He currently narrates the series Young Sheldon. He was born on this day in Houston, Texas in 1973. Okay, Bill, I just choked a bit on my coffee. Did you say you like The Big Bang Theory? I love that show. I can't even believe that. I cannot get enough of it. I think it's, I've been watching it a lot lately, actually. It's a quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so funny. Are you also a fan of Two and a Half Men? No, I've never seen it. These Although I do films? love the Chuck Lorre shows. They are my sort of okay. pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Listen, I just want to say this. Lake Bell reminds me of a younger version of Sheila Kelly. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we got that. I'm glad Not I got that. Off. looking, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Mm-hmm. All right. Lara Flynn Boyle, or is it Lara Flynn? What does she go by? I don't know. I okay. Lara Flynn Boyle made her film debut in Poltergeist 3 before her scenes in Dead Poet Societies were cut out. 
Though you can see them in the extended director's cut, she became famous for her role as Donna Hayward on Twin Peaks, which led to lead roles in the films Threesome, which I saw at the movie theater, Bill, and I thought on a was date, be, on a date, yeah. and I, I was hoping it would be more. I don't know. I, I was disappointed with it. I, right. My expectations was it was going to be more tawdry, and it was like right. you barely see anything. Anyways, uh, The Road to Wellville, The Squeeze, and Afterglow. In 1997, she starred on the series The Practice, for which she was nominated for an Emmy Award, and she was later on Las Vegas, and most recently was in the 2015 film Lucky Dog. She was born on this day in Davenport, Iowa in 1970. Steve McQueen began acting in the early 50s, had his first lead role in the cult classic The Blob in 1958, and after the release of The Magnificent Seven became the definitive cool movie star of the 60s. His most popular roles include The Great Escape, The Cincinnati Kid, The Thomas Crown Affair, Bullet, and The Sand Pebbles, for which he received his only Oscar nomination. In the 70s, he appeared in The Getaway, Papillon, The Towering Inferno, and made his last film, The Hunter, in 1980, the same year he died after cancer surgery at the age of 50. He was born on the stay in Beach Grove, Indiana in 1930, and was a bit of a disturbed mind. Apparently, he used to like shooting tin cans off of his dog's head and eventually killed his dog doing it. No, that's Mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I hate him now. Oh, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Keisha Castle Hughes made history when at the age of 13, she became the youngest person and first Indigenous person ever nominated for a Best Actress Oscar for her wonderful performance in Nikki Caro's acclaimed Whale Rider. It ignited a wonderful career that included playing the Queen of Naboo in Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, the Nativity Stories, the series The Almighty Johnsons, and... Uh, as Obara Sand on Game of Thrones. She's currently on FBI, Most Wanted, and was born on this day in Donnybrook, Australia in 1990. She's so good in uh, once in Whale Rider. <clears throat> oh, I need to see that it's film. It's a lovely for, film. Yeah. For some reason, it, it passed me by. Yeah. Um, and not to take anything away from her, but I just want to also mention, Bill, that my friend Stephen Yun is nominated for an Oscar this mm-hmm. year. He is, yeah. And, and if you listen to this uh, podcast from its first episode, May May 1st, um, mm-hmm. we talk about him throughout and yeah. how he was yeah. almost nominated for this and, and whatnot. Yeah, we all know you're always name dropping the one famous person you may know and who may not recognize you when we run into him and harass him at a Hollywood party, Mark. Oh, listen, he'll recognize me. He just won't want to know <laughs> me. That's the difference. Uh, but congrats to him all the same. Yeah. Kelly LeBrock told us not to hate her because she's beautiful in her Pantene commercials, and we don't. Beginning her (laughs) modeling career at 16, she was one of Eileen Ford's most sought-after models because she was so beautiful, and then boosted her fame with her film debut in Gene Wilder's The Woman in Red, followed by the classic comedy Weird Science. Roles followed in Hard to Kill, Wrongfully Accused, and most recently she was in the film Ten Days in a Madhouse. She was married to action film star Steven Seagal, which does not bode well for her intelligence with whom she had three children until learning in 1996 that he was having a baby with their nanny she said uh, but honestly what you what did you get into with steven seagal anyway what what do you expect from that from that dirt bag she said that she and wilder stayed good friends until his death in 2016 she was raised in london but was born on this day in new york city in 1960 and in the 80s there was no one more beautiful than kelly lebrock bill no one wore a crop top that had 
your boobs hang under them better than <laughs> Kelly LeBron. You know why? Because she was so, I mean, she was obviously an impossible ideal. But right. when you think of great, the, the most famous models, you think of really, really, really skinny, um, yep. like, I don't want to insult thin people, but I there was something but, yeah. very like voluptuous about her, about yeah. Kelly LeBrock, you know, she was, and she had those lips before yeah, everyone yeah. could buy them. You know, she had those lips that people, you know, yeah. try to try to have made or altered yeah. to, to resemble. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, it's my turn. I'm it's sorry. Your turn. Uh, okay. Oh, it's your turn. No, no it's, it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. Okay. Yeah. I just got caught up in, in her crop top yep. and that, that yep. image from when His, I was Okay. Marco's mind is still like blowing her red skirt up in uh, The Woman in Red. <laughs> that was such an... I remember when that scene came out and everybody was talking about it and talking about it. And today you wouldn't even blink an eye about it. But like, Well, that movie's the- dirty though. That movie could not be made the way it, is, the way it was right. then. Like she, you see her body quite a bit in that film. Yeah. And they get up to quite naughty stuff, her and the much older Gene Wilder. Like it's really quite provocative. But anyway... It's like that film, Blame It on Rio. I don't think they could make that no. film today. No, yeah. they have sex with teenagers in that movie. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Well, someone who's not crazy, hopefully, mm. R. Lee Emery, often played military Ermy. types. Sorry? Ermy. Ermy, yeah. sorry. Often played military types thanks to his having served in the United States Marine Corps for 11 years. He rose to staff sergeant and later was bestowed the honorary rank of gunnery sergeant by the Marine Corps, uh, serving 14 months in Vietnam and two tours in Okinawa. Um, Injuries, unfortunately, forced him to retire from the Corps, and he attended the University of Manila to study criminology and drama, beginning to appear in Filipino films before being cast as a helicopter pilot in Apocalypse Now, on which he also served as military advisor. In 1987, he gave his best-known performance as Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, for which he was nominated for a Golden Globe. He later appeared in Toy Soldiers, Summersby, Dead Man Walking, Seven, and Leaving Las Vegas. In the 2000s, he was in Willard and Man of the House. In his final years, he did mainly voice work on Batman, Family Guy, and The Simpsons until his death in 2018 at the age of 74. He was born on this day in Emporia, Kansas in 1944. I always just think of him in Dead Man Walking. He's so good in that movie. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's a great movie. And all the people, it's about, you know, Helen um, Susan Sarandon plays a real-life nun who counseled right. a death row inmate. And all the actors they get to play the parents of the victims of uh, this murderer are all yeah. superb, superb actors. Oh, wow. Yeah. Canadian star Nicholas Campbell has been lighting up the screen with his shocking blue eyes since the mid-70s when he made his film debut in The Omen in 1976. After roles in A Bridge Too Far and the James Bond adventure The Spy Who Loved Me, he appeared in Cronenberg's The Brood, Killer Instinct, Shadow of the Wolf, New Waterford Girl, and in the late 90s had a hit with the series Da Vinci's Inquest, which ran for seven seasons which for a Canadian show is amazing yeah. uh, and earned him one of the, one of his four Gemini awards. He later appeared in goon antiviral and won a Canadian screen award for the comedy series, less than kind. He was born on this day in Toronto, Ontario in 1952. I have not met him, but I would love to work with him. He was supposed to be in the coal mine production of the father, which is the, the Florian Zeller play. That's now a movie with Anthony Hopkins. Um, and he pulled out, I think he, he wasn't well or something, because by the time I oh. saw it, he had been replaced by uh, Eric Peterson. I see. Yeah. Who's a gr- Eric Peterson is a great actor. He is, but he wasn't very good in that play. Oh, no. 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 
Not everything Knight, I've I ever him. seen yeah. him in, he's been like superb. You know, he was brought in to replace Nicholas Campbell like five right. weeks before they opened oh, or well, something. And yeah. he had done that play before. And I have a feeling that they basically let him just do the performance he had done in another production. Right. And there was just a lot of like, Coalmine usually is great performances of plays that I don't really like. And that was a, a, the opposite, which was that uh, it was a play that I liked, but I didn't really love that production of it. There were moments like... um there's nothing I dislike more than when actors have to cry in a scene yeah, and it's not coming. Cause some days it just doesn't come. Doesn't come. Yep. And so they act crying yep. like they do a voice and they scrunch their eyes. And yeah. my feeling is if it's not coming, then don't do anything. Then don't do it. Yeah. You don't need it. No one's going to say, but he's supposed to cry. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of that in that production oh. where it's like, he wasn't feeling it. So he just did mm. the fake crying. And, oh, the old scrunch face cry. It takes me out when that happens. Oh, fair yeah. enough. <clears throat> well, let's see if this person takes you out, Bill. Mm. Comedian and actor Tig Notaro is known for her deadpan comedy, becoming famous when she included jokes about her cancer diagnosis that Louis C.K. insisted she release as an album. Her acclaimed album, Live, was nominated for a Grammy Award, and her special, Tig Notaro Boyish Girl Interrupted, was nominated for an Emmy. She's released five albums, three specials, and appeared in the films In a World and Lucy in the Sky. On television, she appeared on Community, Transparent, Star Trek Discovery, and starred on One Mississippi. She was born on this day in Jackson, Mississippi in 1971. Norman Fell is best known for his role as Mr. Roper on Three's Company, for which he won a Golden Globe Award. He was a tail gunner in the Pacific during World War II, who studied acting after the war and became working began working on stage and in television in the mid-50s. Among the roles he racked up on film include Pork Chop Hill, Inherit the Wind, Ocean's Eleven, The Killers, and on television he was on Dr. Kildare, I Spy, Dan August, and Love American Style. After three seasons of Three's Company, the studio insisted on putting them on their own spinoff, or I should say the network, insisted on putting them on their own spinoff, The Ropers. It failed after one season, by which point their characters had been replaced by Don Knotts on the original show, which sucked because they did not want to do the spinoff. Yeah. Uh... Fell continued to work, later appearing in For the Boys with Bette Midler and making his final appearance on an episode of Ellen in 1997, a year before his death at the age of 74. He was born <laughs> on this day in Philadelphia in 1924, which means he was in his early 50s on Three's Company, and that is shocking. Wow. Yeah. You know, Bill, it's it's tragic because they were such a great uh, comedic duo. They were, they were amazing. And you know, it's all you always think of comedic duos from like the '40s and '50s, like Abbott and Costello. But it's like there's certain comedic duos of like you know the '70s and '80s and '90s that don't get enough uh, credit. And yeah, I think they're. Too they old. also didn't need their own show. Like no, uh, creatively, it didn't bear. It just didn't hold up the idea of them having their own show. I think the only reason they wanted to do it is because they wanted to have more of a. They wanted to own more of the Saturday night lineup, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Anyways, over the last year, a meme of the mayor in Jaws announcing that the beaches are safe for swimming has been shared a lot as being relevant to reactions to the pandemic in many places. And that mayor is played by Murray Hamilton. He showed up in Hollywood with $50 in his pocket and made his dreams come true. Beginning as a messenger boy for Warner Brothers before going back to New York and making his Broadway debut in Strange Fruit. 
He had his breakthrough in the play Mr. Roberts, which brought him into the movies with character roles in The Spirit of St. Louis, Jean, uh, Jeannie Eagles, Houseboat, Tall Story, and The Hustler. After Jaws, he was in Brubaker, Too Scared to Scream, and played Blanche's father, Big Daddy. Oh, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Big Daddy Hollingsworth on The Golden Girls the in 1986. Yeah, yeah, he, that's right. There was two different guys who played there him the two... first time. He was the one that did the uh, country music singing. Yeah. <laughs> and said, yeah. I never should have done that Beatles medley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the I, second was... one was a different guy who was marrying Mary Lou Henner. Wait. Remember, that was Big Daddy Lou came Henner? back as a different different actor yeah. who was going to marry Mary Lou Henner, who was like younger than Blanche. Yeah, the widow, the widow, yes. the widow Margaret or whatever yeah, yeah, they kept yeah. referring to her yeah. as. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was Mary Lou Henner. Oh, I, I believe so. That. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but, but yeah, he was he my, was the first one. He was my favorite Big Daddy on the yeah. Golden Girls. Well, he was um, the more he was just more believable. Like that's what I imagine him to be like. But yeah, yeah, he was more Southern. I found the other guy was a little bit too staunch. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, where was I? He was on the Golden. That same year, he died at the age of sixty-three. Oh, that's too bad. That's probably why someone took yeah. over the role for him. He was born on this day in Washington, North Carolina in 1923. It's a tribute to him, though, that I have seen Jaws a hundred million times, and I have seen that episode of The Golden Girls a hundred million times. It never occurred to me that they were the same person. I didn't know that until I read this. Yeah. He was was great in both of them. Yeah. I didn't know it until I wrote it. So, yeah. 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 Ah, fantastic. Curtis Hansen dropped out of high school to work as a photographer, writer, and editor, first for Cal State's campus newspaper, despite not being a student there, later interviewing famous celebrities for his magazine, Cinema, which was owned by his uncle. He began screenwriting and had his first script, The Dunwich Horror, produced in 1970, then made his directorial debut two years later with Sweet Kill. He had his breakthrough with The Bedroom Window, starring Isabelle Huppert and Steve Gutenberg, one of her rare Hollywood movies back then. Then he had his first hit with The Hand That Rocks the Cradle in 1991. His 1997 drama, L.A. Confidential, was the highest critically rated film of the year, and my favorite movie from the 90s, earning him an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. He followed it with the wonderful film Wonder Boys, the Eminem biopic Eight Mile, the comedy In Her Shoes, and the gambling drama Lucky You with Drew Barrymore, which was so bad I couldn't finish it, uh, even though I generally love his movies. He made his last film Chasing Mavericks in 2012, four years before his death at the age of 71. He was born on this day in Reno, Nevada in 1945. And Bill, I don't want to alarm you, but I went to see L.A. Confidential at the movie theaters. You did. I saw it three times in the movie theater. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge um, favorite of mine and yeah, my best it was friend great. Heather's. Yeah. It was great. It was it was an, a great film. I yeah, guess. and um, Isabelle Huppert was recently, You know, I, I don't know if you know this, at the Criterion Collection, at their main office, they have like a closet with all their DVDs. And every once in a while, they invite a celebrity to come in and just take whatever they want. And they film them taking movies and talking about them and stuff. Oh, and wow. when Isabel did it, she grabbed a copy of Samuel Fuller's White Dog, which was written by Curtis Hansen, who she had worked with on the bedroom window. And she said, I'm taking this. I want to watch this because uh, I worked with Curtis and I loved him and he was such a great guy. And like her whole thing was all about like paying tribute to the people she had loved and worked with and lost. Listen, I didn't know her before this podcast, but now <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan. That's of what this whole year like... was for. 
It really was educating yeah. me yeah. on Isabel Huppert. Yeah. Well, he was born Eric Weitz, but he's better known as Harry Houdini. And he was born on this day in 1874. He was a Hungarian-born American illusionist and stunt performer, noted for his escape acts, including the milk can escape, I think, which he invented. In 1904, thousands watched as he tried to escape from special handcuffs commissioned by London's Daily Mirror, keeping them in suspense for an hour. Another stunt saw him buried alive and only just able to claw himself to the surface, emerging in a state of near breakdown. In fact, he just put his hand through uh, the dirt, kind of like Carrie, and his assistants pulled him out. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) While many suspected that these escapes were faked, Houdini presented himself as the scourge or the scourge of fake spiritualists. As president of the Society of American Magicians, he was keen to uphold professional standards and expose fraudulent artists. He was also quick to sue anyone who imitated his escape stunts. Houdini made several movies but quit acting when it failed to bring him money. He was also a keen aviator and aimed to become the first man to fly a plane in Australia. Um, Harry Houdini died of... Um, a ruptured appendix on mm-hmm. October 31st, Halloween, 1926, in Detroit's Grace Hospital. At the age of 52, he yeah. was so young. Um, in his final days, he believed that he would recover, but his last words before dying were reportedly, I'm tired of fighting. I don't want to fight anymore. Yeah, famous people's last words are always very poetic and beautiful because in reality, yeah. what they actually said was, I really need to fart and I haven't been able to in three days, but the people around them love them. And so they're like, we're just yep. going to rewrite those famous yeah. last words. And you know what? I don't blame them for that yeah. one bit. It's so funny though, because most of us all think the Harry Houdini died doing a stunt. And in a way, it's like, we'd prefer to believe that than the fact that the poor guy died of uh, peritonitis. Yeah, yeah. He he was supposedly a uh, a girl in Montreal backstage at one of his shows. I guess was challenged to kick him or punch him in the gut, mm-hmm. and so she did several times because he was showing how strong he was. And then, not too long after, dun dun dun. Yeah. Well, he was a showman after all. Yeah, he was. There you go. Well, Bill, that is March twenty fourth. I hope you had a good one. I hope you did too, Marco. And we'll see you tomorrow with more Born on This Day. See you then.